Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I don't, want, did, to, don't yeah. want to talk about it loudly mm. on, on air or anything, mm-hmm. but um, all I'm saying is on. that I think one, one of the hotel bedrooms was unused. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but anyway, and... Uh, it wasn't mine. And it wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> but it was a very entertaining time. I it? remember writing that squeeze headline in... Uh, 1980... Not that long ago. two or something yeah. like that, which was... Square deal squeeze. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Square deal. <laughs> it, look, it looked like a sort of box of surf or something. It looked it like a box of surf. Like, what was the point of the headline? I can't remember. Just they were a good deal. They were a good deal. And they the reason we're clean. The reason we're recapping this at this particular point is we're joined by Chris Tifford. Chris, welcome Hurrah. to, to the pod. Nice to see um, you. I have to say, it's the first pod I've ever done. Is it really? Yeah. Well, don't, don't take any lessons from this. Okay. Attempt to, <laughs> attempt we're, to we're apply it. your pod cherry then, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so embarrassed by the fact that Chris just came uh, up to the office. I said, come and have a look around the the Word office and come and meet everybody, which won't take long because there's only five other people. Uh And we go in there and we now have a little tray on the wall, which I made, and 70s Mike has branded on the front, Record Now Playing. And the Record Now Playing was... Chris Difford's The Last Temptation of Chris. <laughs> and, 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 I've no and I have to say, I had no idea that that record was on at it all. Was, was I was richly sweet. embarrassed. <laughs> so was it that. looks like we're constantly shepherding uh, pop stars into our office and making clear uh, that we listen to the record all the time. Well, while we're on this, uh, the, this tag, uh, tag, tip, tag, I can't talk. <laughs> I just come across tag. London. I was, uh, uh, I was playing Chris's record this morning before I left. Do you know what? You're going to say it's quite good. <laughs> I think it's quite good. I hate good. saying this. What do you think? We think it's, it's quite, quite good. good. It's growing on, on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It's growing on me. So, no, I've, I was play, playing first four tracks before I dashed out, and uh, I thought it was rather good. But anyway, we'll talk about that later on. Okay. I've come, I've come hot foot from the BBC. I've got to plug something. Go I've on. been doing a thing about podcasting. Uh, with Colin Murray and Mitch Ben and uh, and Heather Gorridge from a website called what's he called Matt Wiggly Wigglers Wiggly Wigglers, which oh, yeah. he does way all, down in the country. All your organic gardening needs. Mate. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you want to compost, <laughs> did we survive before? If you want to compost <laughs> machine, 
If you want to compost, she's your girl. Anyway. So mulching, especially. Yeah, so on. we're talking about uh, podcasts and uh, what extraordinary labours of love they are. And, and that's on, uh, that's on uh, Five Live at 7 o'clock on Easter Monday. Did you manage to get a reverse plug-in for this podcast? Of course. I'm, I'm going to tell oh. you a funny story, which is going to lead to you and me, and then it's going to lead, it's going to, lead to Chris, actually. Yeah. Which is, they said, I'm and here's David Hepworth. Here's David Hepworth from the Word podcast, you know. And they, and they play a clip. Who's on the clip? Mark Allen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're just effectively... It's the one they want, you know, Dave. You know, it's, even, <laughs> even, it's the one, it's the it's one, one they, they asked for by name. <laughs> <laughs> even when I was there, they thought it was him. And they try to look, you know, they, 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 they look at you when you've gone through the door and you can see their mouth got a little bit wiggly because they thought they were getting their big, tall... <laughs> Southern Ponce. You, you see, this is what it's like being with Glenn. Well, this is no, just no, what no, I was no, going to no. say. So it's the are. same sort of thing. You know, I walk into a room and they, and they instantly want, you know, they think they're going to have sex with, 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 with me. And I'm, not, I'm just not that kind of guy. <laughs> the implication is that Glenn is, by the way, ladies. <laughs> it's, also, no, it's, quite, it's quite interesting because you have been yoked together since, you know, I don't know, mid-70s or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 73, yeah. And, and you both got three-syllable names. Oh. Very English names. Yeah. Both got an E sound in the yeah. mm-hmm. second syllable. Oh, my Lord. You know, I have to, to confess that there was a time when I might have made the same mistake myself. Mm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gone into print on done it. So I haven't miscaptioned a left or right or a squeeze or anything like that. But it's possible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, yeah. So, Mark, I understand you would, you, your DJing adventures. We, we have to hear about this. People are looking on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk. Oh, yeah, we... we um, Mark was at the wheels of steel on Word Friday magazine. A DJ at uh, well, I, I first of all, I've ever DJed. I call it DJ. I did call it DJ. It's actually a tune-off. <laughs> it's an epic sound clash tune-off between us and a tremendous uh, website portal called Three Bar Fire, um, who are quite literally half our age. Right? <laughs> Is this and half I'm your only twenty-six? Age Is this half? Your age? <laughs> yeah. I think Kate, half of Kate Mossman's half age Kate might Mossman might be not old enough to go out in the out in a pram. I think. But uh, yeah, we had a tune-off. And I'd like to think we, we, we made a good account of ourselves, Dave. So what did this what well, did this well the brilliant thing about it was, we were, we were, well, many brilliant, we were walking up to the, the pub, the four of us, with the 70s Mike and myself and Kate and uh, Rob Fitzpatrick. And like, it, was it like in high noon when they... Kind of yeah, like, oh, yes, it was. <laughs> it, suddenly the other end of the street, it goes dark and long, <laughs> long shadows, a distant church clock, and there's three bar fire. <laughs> That's right. No, but it's rather interesting because I was going up there and we'd all prepared a, a CD of about 20 tracks each that we thought might uh, uh, fill the floor at the, the um, Old Queen's Head in Islington. And I said to Mike, what are you going to start with? He said, well, what do you think I'm going to start with, obviously? And I said, well, obviously, I know what I'm going to start with too. And he said, what? And I said, well, obviously, Frankie Ford's Sea Crew. Oh, and he said, well, that's, can't go wrong said, with that, can you? That is exactly oh, what really? I'm going to start with. Out of all, so the, out the, of all the records in all the reservoir of all, all the world. In fact, I knew you. And I thought that was rather extraordinary, but that's why it's not that extraordinary. Because when you hear, as I did, when mm. you start with that, when you hear the, the ship's bell ringing and the great honking you know, sound of the tenor sax, you basically think three bar fire. I tell you what, get your coat, go out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken out. I've still got, I've still got the Lion of Judah by Laurel Aitken and the Scatlights in come. my back pocket. So, you know, so we're, you didn't get, you didn't get, we're packing. You, won't get, you didn't get lynched or, you know. Didn't get lynched. No, people quite, actually, I've never DJed before. And I thought it was a really extraordinary feeling. To, I really understand how exciting it is now. You put a record on, obviously, mm. people are yeah. enlivened by the grape. Uh, you know, at about half of us. And suddenly a bunch of four or five girls spontaneously 
started to dance to one of the records I played. Please mm. note girls. Uh, they were girls. No, nothing. Not blokes. No, no, no. no. Blokes or don't women. dance. Yeah, yeah. Or no, women. women. It was girls. Yeah, yeah just girls. Yeah, and I, I felt a great feeling of a tiny fraction of what it must be like to be, I suppose, to be Fat Boy Slim, Dave. On, on, Brighton, <laughs> on Brighton Beach. Just I'm watching 300,000 rave animals <laughs> leaping up and down in unison and falling off the pier. No, I'm thinking, it, because of me, I made this happen. Well, it could be. Chris, and have you ever DJ? Uh, I did on uh, the humble GLR once upon a time. Oh, right. Not in front of a live audience. Yeah, it was live on oh, Sunday nights. So oh, right, but I mean, not, not a crowd of people. No, no, oh, I've right. never done that. Apart from in a church hall when I was about 15. What did you play? Can you remember? Well, in those, in those, those on days. On both occasions? Uh, well, I started off with um, a Dirt Bogard track. <laughs> <laughs> Going straight for the jugular of popular taste. <laughs> Smoke gets I suppose in Crazy eyes. in Love by Beyonce. That, 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 yeah. <laughs> that wonderful record that he recites yeah. where he does a, a Nighty Girl saying in Barclay it's Square. It's got an incredible it's sleeve with him in a duffel coat smoking a fan. <laughs> no, no, I'm not disputing the sleeves are classy, but did it actually have the effect of electrifying the dance floor? Well, it, well I'm talking about the radio show. <laughs> oh, oh, radio right. Show. Oh, radio show. Oh, no, I'm, I'm getting confused. Uh, no, that radio show, perfect. I yeah. think I would have played Scores, scores Out for summer Schools for Alice, Cooper. Alice Cooper would have been yeah. an instant onto the dance floor thing yeah it would right yeah. very good that's a good move because you, you, you've got to you've got to go straight in with a thing you're guaranteed yeah. you? there's no point doing what Mark Ellen did at, uh, at a party that we oh, went God, we went a few months ago where he thought he'd play the new Bruce Springsteen uh, a record that hadn't come out yet it was coming Not out three weeks time called Radio Nowhere by Bruce which is a terrific song I played yeah. it that thinking, boy never done that. Not, no I think he's got more sense if their record has never been released <laughs> but uh, on the website I looked at it Kate's written this thing about the event and it says uh, there's a picture of me waving my hands in the air you know literally give me ten fingers Glastonbury <laughs> <laughs> at my age and uh, yeah and uh, she says that the only quote is um, we are literally changing people's lives with this music from you says Mark Ellis which of course I did say but of course I said it Dave like, as is always the problem there's enormous inverted commas around them and uh, you know so it does look rather ridiculous if I actually really do think I am changing people's lives <laughs> what I wanted to ask because I, I didn't attend this uh, this bacchanal <laughs> I was tucked up in bed uh, was um, there's a picture on the website of Kate pouring something into a pint of beer yeah. a pint of lager well we've got a little tipple at Word magazine and I think anyone listening would be well advised to take note of this actually uh, pencils and paper at the ready you get a, a, a pint of extra cold Guinness and put two shots two lidfuls of Tia Maria into it and I tell you what God. it's gorgeous <laughs> and the more of this you drink the funnier and better looking you become <laughs> everybody becomes and by the end of everybody by the end of the evening I was just absolutely ravishing it's hilarious <laughs> hilarious I thought anyway I did something a real 14 year old thing right seriously embarrassing I go home about and I get the last tube home and I've, I discover I've actually got in my hand a bag of chips <laughs> I, I, I must have gone into a McDonald's <laughs> and bought a bag of chips I was sitting there eating the chips and the last thing I remember was and the next stop will be turning green and the next thing I hear is and the next I said this is Acton Town please check it I thought uh, what has happened to me? Oh dear! <laughs> I have four, I've, I'm, I'm brimful of tea, tea Maria. You literally couldn't get any more in if you tried. I've got a bag of half-eaten chips to fall asleep in the tea. That's we've got to, which reminds me, we've got to get Paul Denoyer back in on this uh, on this podcast to get him to tell the story of his first date with his wife. Oh God, yes. Which involves a drink which has a bizarre kind of lager and black currant. No, no, it, no, I can't remember. No, it's, it's absolutely it's, bizarre. It's, uh, it's orange juice and brown. <laughs> Which, was, which she thought was sophisticated. Because she, she had, worked in a large factory. At the time she worked in the yeah. large factory. <laughs> sophisticated. Well, it sounds like a song. Oh, it, it does. It 
themselves. Do you, did you just say brown owl and orange juice? Brown, brown ale and orange juice. No, it's brown and orange. Just oh. brown and orange. Was that was their cocktail. Wouldn't that curdle? You'd think it would. Yeah, it's curdle. How did they ever get together? Yeah, whose idea was that? I don't know. Denoya would have been having a, a, a probably a Manhattan or something. You know, with a, a freshly squeezed lime. You yeah, know. yeah. So uh, yeah. Can I ask you, did the good missus ever think you were hilarious and ravishing when you arrived? <laughs> <laughs> good good question. <laughs> <laughs> No, she was very sweet about it in the morning. She sort of she, she nodded of days as I later. told her. I, I, I go out quite a lot, and she goes out a lot less actually. But she absolutely adores these these very supercharged reviews that I deliver the next morning for night out. Because it's perfect for her. Because she feels she's been out. It's better than going to make out. The effort and leave the comfort and security of her own it's home. It's better than going out. <laughs> Mark, Mark works with a load of people yeah. who never go out at all, really, but just right. hear about it. Yeah. 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 they're exhausted. Just uh, right. you know, just at the beat. Chris, I want to know your opinion on this. There's there's a a debate going on on the website at the moment about the, the, I suppose, the ethics of musicians allowing their music to be used on ads or appearing ads. I don't know if you've seen this Joss Stone. Cambr- Have you seen that? Joss Stone is now the new face of Cambry's Flake. Is She's that what, what it is? I sort of caught that out of the corner of my eye and I couldn't quite believe it. Well, yeah. she, there she is, you know, um, you know, biting into the, in the nation's favourite chocolate bar. <laughs> and, and so everybody, you know, you can throw in loads of others. There's, Bob Dylan is doing at the moment doing, what is it, Cadillac Escalade, I think, in yeah. the United States. And Elvis, uh, Elvis Costello is doing... Doing, uh, doing Lexus. Lexus car. Is he really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That boy has turned a court corner, well, hasn't well, he? Well, I don't know. You see, it's kind of interesting because I, uh, that's what the debate that I want to open up, really, because I, I interviewed him for, the, for this issue. Oh, and, yeah. and I said, you know, how do you feel about this? He said, finally, all I had to do was sit in the back of a car and talk about Beethoven, actually, you know, because mm. it's very kind of, mm. you know, it's not directly, it's not him talking about the wonderful properties of, of mm. the Lexus yeah, or whatever. Sort of and yeah. it just strikes me that loads of, loads of people on the website get kind of up in arms about, you know, the, the, the how dare they, musicians, betray my, you know, my trust, the fan relationship. By, and I think, well, why the hell not? Well, I, I think it's just another way of making a living for a music, musician, I guess. <laughs> it's a sort of spin-off, isn't it? I mean, when I, when I, when I was managing Brian uh, Ferry... Uh, I got a phone call from Mercedes-Benz in Germany, and they asked me if he would be a, you know, a, a, a personality in the car. And so we, you know, I managed to talk him into it, and they gave him a, a car, and he said it was the most ugly car he'd ever seen in his life. <laughs> you know, and didn't he didn't even want it. You know, and he was wondering why on earth he'd gone into it. You know, of course his bank balance was a little larger. You know, R- I, I think you probably like the idea of cars, which is Mercedes-Benz wasn't up to scratch, was that, was that the thing? I don't know. Because subsequently, I got involved in this. I did this Audi thing with Audi. Audi are very good, in fact. Well, yeah, Audi. uh, Audi have an Audi channel, right? On yeah, on the TV. Yeah. So uh, they take a certain amount of the enormous amount of money that they spend on advertising every year Mm. and put it to running a channel. Mm. So you know, you go on Sky and it's channel two hundred and whatever. And it's full of, you know, it's full of things telling you that Audis are really good things or whatever, mm. you know, because mm. people are most likely mm. to buy another Audi or people have already got one. Yeah. And anyway, they, they make a lot of their kind of connections with right. well-known people. So they get Alec Ferguson, you know, to... Of course. And yeah. I did, they, they rang me up and said, would I do a thing with Tony Wilson, the late Tony Wilson, which involved driving around Manchester for the day in a car rigged out like Top Gear, you know, yeah, with, with, with cameras, cameras, cameras absolutely yeah. everywhere. And that kind of went okay. And then they asked me to do the same thing with Brian Ferry, which I have to say, in all, which I did, which in all my experience of interviewing people, 
is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Well, she's driving around because you're distracted half the time. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So you can drive past Buckingham Palace or whatever, you can ask him a question about the Queen. Mm. It's perfectly logical. Mm. Mm. And if you don't want to say anything at all, you don't say anything for a while. So they did all this. They packaged it. They edited it. They were completely ready. And then he gave that interview to, what is it, De Spiegel in Germany, <laughs> where... He made, uh, hey, I don't attach any blame to him at all for doing this. He made some remark about Nazis as a design. As a design, yeah. And I I really, I don't blame anybody who Mm. says that at all. Next thing you know, uh, Audi thinks, can't run it. Too controversial. Yeah. So held it back. I think it eventually, they put it out about a year later or yeah, something like that. bootleg days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bootleg days. The Hitworth Audi tapes. Been <laughs> yeah. Gathering in darkened rooms. <laughs> so have you, have you licensed your music to any ads? Um, in the past, uh, many years ago, we did a Budweiser commercial in, Ameri- in America. We did, uh, well, see, it's... Uh, songs that appeared in it or just let them... Yeah, there, yeah, there was a song in it. Right. But a couple of years ago, ago a fan uh, emailed me and said I've just heard Tempted in a jeans commercial in the States I said I knew nothing about it about it and the truth of the matter is is that publishing who, who you know we signed to Miles Copeland when we were like knee high yeah, right. and he owns the rights so he sold the rights to the jeans commercial company so we never saw a penny so from you didn't it. get anything no you don't and, get anything and then and then last year I went back to the States to do the first squeeze tour in seven or eight years I walked into a to a bar. Tempted comes on, and it's in a it's in a in a, in a Heineken advert, and of course no one had asked me, you know. And you you don't participate in any. I didn't even get a crate of beer out of it. That's, oh. that is really isn't that tragic. odd? It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. But that's odd the, is a very mild way of looking at it. Hmm. But is that is that just because you know had your time over again you wouldn't you wouldn't have signed away your publishing or whatever? Well, early we, on? we were fifteen, sixteen years old when we first met met Miles, and we signed Doc documents that were like 10 feet deep you know he was a lot older he was a lot older and he had a tweed jacket and you know we sort of thought he was he was great and he is great i mean without him we wouldn't have got where where we where we were but um but yeah we did t- sign sign, <laughs> sign those things away yeah. yeah yeah do you bump into him now uh no i mean up until the point where he was managing sting i used to see him but now he i think all he does now is look after some uh a belly uh, dance dancing troupe <laughs> And of course, he drinks all the Heineken. He could. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, we were in. He he manages a police soundalike band. No. And they followed the police around from town to town. Last year, they were no. the police were in Boston Brilliant. and in Cape Cod were Miles's band. And what they were doing was they were selling off the old merchandise that Miles still had from when he managed Sting. <laughs> the pictures of the actual police on it. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I, you know, grudgingly, I, I think that's good. That's what you're doing basically is you're hoovering up all the cash with the police, and then yeah. the next time, still a few crumbs left. Yes. And you bring in a load of guys who look and sound a bit like them. Shit, the rest of them. Now, this leads almost seamlessly to the theory I developed next uh, last week about. Yeah. Um, I, I don't wish anybody to shuffle off this mortal coil a moment before they actually have to, but I want you to imagine. That Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr joined the choir Invisible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Some promoter somewhere is thinking, Sean, James, Zach, Danny, the Beatles. Mm. Holograms. Could, holograms. You, 
Could you sell out Shea Stadium? I think you could. Now, oh, that, started, that started life as an outrageous suggestion, in a fantasy in my head. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, somebody could there, do there that. Is, there is, are you sure? Because you it's only like... Do you want me to edit this bit out and you can get on the phone to my whole <laughs> yeah. Because I was inspired by the fact that there's not one, but two Glenn Miller orchestras still playing. There are, And yeah. Glenn Miller died in 1944 or something well, like that. I went that. to see the Zombies the other night, their, their, their legendary uh, reunion. Of course, when that record, Odyssey and Oracle, was a hit, mm. time of the season, mm. the group had already split up. Yeah. I think it was, if not the three, so it must have been four mm. versions of the Zombies containing not one single original zombie <laughs> stumbled out onto the American circuit. So there's just there's money to be there's money to be made. Isn't uh, it? It's, it's, it's but extraordinary. Is, yeah. is, is, I saw Sean Lennon uh, recently, and the bizarre thing about him is he, he has modelled himself completely on his father's. You know, he wears his father's glasses, he has his father's hairstyle, his father's beard, his father's clothes, plays instruments his father plays, and plays songs uh, of this Mark Ronson concert I saw that his father actually wrote as mm. well. Mm. So. I don't think he's shying away from no. the comparison day. No, no, no. So that and is he nearly the age at which his father... That his father no, he's older, he's older now. He's older than 40? Oh, yeah, sure, sure, no, yeah. He's th- oh, older than 40? No, 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 sorry, no. I thought you meant his... No, but it must be early 30s. Yeah. You see, so, Chris, the thing that I find myself thinking more and more when I look around and I see, you know, the police biggest live draw, whatever they were in 2007, you know, and bands from ages ago, still ploughing on. Mm. I think, well, these musicians may look back and think, I did loads of terrible deals and I spent all the money or whatever. Mm. But on the other hand, there's this extraordinary bonus that people still go in. Do you ever think that? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a generation that have grown up with the bands that they've loved and now they've got their own kids and their kids are coming to the gigs too. So when we were on tour in the, in the, in the summer in the States, we were playing to a younger audience than we've ever played because it was the parents' kids yeah, coming absolutely. to see it. That's what's happened to everybody. Actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very old. Brothers. Yeah, very old. Well, it's like talking to Elvis Costello about playing with Dylan. He supported Dylan. He said, Dylan in the States nowadays has a young yeah. audience. Yeah, isn't that yeah. great? Which is yeah, it's it's extraordinary. You know, it's astonishing. You know, the, 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 the nature of the audience just, just yeah. keeps on changing absolutely yeah. all the time. Because Elvis Costello years ago told me that he'd gone on tour once and he'd been introduced to a fan... <coughs> who had one daughter called Alison, mm. and then another oh, daughter, no. 15 years younger, who was called Veronica. My God. <laughs> Both named that after is, Elvis. That is extraordinary. Socks, you know. yeah. but no, I guess, I guess because Only the, Barry White gets told things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's... There's the, something called watching the detectives. There's, there's, well. ne- <laughs> <laughs> there's, ne- there's never been a model for pop music and rock music because we've grown up with it, apart from maybe jazz. So if you go back to the jazz legends of the time, as they grew old, older, younger people went to see them out of curiosity. curiosity. Yeah. I think that's what's happening to us now. Yeah, yeah. So you played with Squeeze last year. Yeah. First time for a long time. Mm. You going to do that again? Yeah, we've got some festivals in the uh, summer. We're playing V, which I'm really looking forward to, with Amy Winehouse and people like mm. that. So that would be great. And then we're doing WOMAD, Wom- 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 which I've been doing every year for the last 10 years and um, some other festivals. Then we go to America and do the bits we didn't do on the last tour. Right, right. So it's it's an ongoing thing. It's not a kind of one-off. You'll get on. We get on very well, yeah. Glenn and I have never got on better. I mean, we've been writing together now, or we've been, t- been together 35 years, and this... <laughs> we've been together. I know. Isn't that fantastic? 35. 35. I can't get over yeah. how young you were when you started. It was, yeah, well, you were 15 or 16 or something. Yeah. It was astonishing. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're just... Uh, we're going to do some writing for a new Squeeze album next year, and... 
we're working on a musical and all sorts of things. So we're, we, we, we've kind of grown up to sort of understand our differences, I think. So Squeeze is, is the, the three of you, is Gilson Lavis? No, Gils, Gilson's with Jules. Yeah, right. So it's, it's the two of you basically with, your, with, with the band. No, and John, our, our original oh. bass player. Oh, uh, yeah, John, ba- of course. Player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then we've got two of Glenn's band playing with us. Be quieter without Gilson, unless he's quietened down. Well, I remember when I came on the road with you in 1979, he told me a story about how he'd been in Australia, mm. and uh, his idea of amusement was being driven, strapped to a roof rack, on the top of on a, a car. On, 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 was that what they called? Yeah, on the top yeah. of a, a car, seeing if they could drive at 100 miles an hour down the beach with Gilson hanging onto the roof rack. <laughs> I think a couple of occasions he would inch himself forward and put his head upside down <laughs> in the windscreen and freak out the driver. I know. Well, Drummers, eh? Drummers, eh? <laughs> He's calmed down now, I think. I think he has. Yeah. I hope so. What's the thing when you look back, all those you know, mad ye- years of touring or something, mm. and think, how did I survive that? You know, what's the most foolish, you know, life-endangering prank you ever got up to? <laughs> Opening a rehearsal room door, I think. I mean, that's just the most scary <laughs> thing out of all, going into a rehearsal room with four other pe- people and trying to work out a song, you know. Mm. I think that was always a very scary scary thing. I, I mean, I, I wasn't one of the, you know, I, I mean, I was quite a quieter member of the band. I used to go to my room and, and sort of do sort of dark things. But um, the rest <laughs> go of... Go on. All right. Oh, we we want to know. <laughs> But, the, you know, the rest of the, you know, Glenn and Gilson, you know, they always used to go out to pranks and uh, stuff. You know, it was fun. And you were never tempted? I did a few things, yeah. But, um, I mean, uh, the reason I got into music in the first place is because I read an interview with Pete Townsend in The Melody Maker when I was at school. Mm. And he said, um, you know, you know, being a pop, being in a rock band is a great thing because you, you can drive cars into swimming pools, take drugs, you know, have lots of women fly in private jets. And, and be an ugly bloke and pull loads of girls. And I thought, that's the job for me. You know? <laughs> Where do I sign? Where do I sign? <laughs> and and all, it, all of those things came uh, true. All the car into pool and everything? No, not car into pool, but portable tele- television into pool. You know I was going to ask you a philosophical <laughs> question, because I was looking at this cover of, of Word that we put out last year with an interview with Leonard Cohen. There's a lovely quote in it where he's, he's, he's asked what he thinks the purpose of music is. And he says, music is that enterprise that stops our mind from spinning. And I wondered if you had any thought about the value. I, like, I really like that phrase. Yeah, it's lovely. We're actually in constant chaos and turmoil. Mm. And just this, these artistic moments that crystallise your thoughts and make the world seem rational and understandable are really valuable. I thought it was rather nice. I think it's really right as well. The world is not a perfect place, but when you put a record on it, kind of is. Yeah, absolutely. If it's, if it's, the, right, if it's the right thing, because it removes you from the chaos. I absolutely, absolutely agree. You know, but for, for me, being in a, in a, in a band and, and being in, in music as long as I have, it's been like being in a film. Yeah. And, and now, yeah. and now I get the chance to actually sit in the stalls and watch the film for the very first time. So it's great to be able to reflect in that kind of way. Oh, that's wonderful! Mm. I was just thinking this morning. Listening, to you, I, I have to say this record, which has you're a not going to say it's really good as well. Like. I'm just going to say I've just said it, haven't I? Well, there's no money as James. Do you think if we're on a television <laughs> program, I'll be holding this up to a camera? That's what they do now. They do now. They do. Oh God, yeah. But it's got the yeah, the last temptation of Chris is a very good title, and the last album also had a great title, which was. Um, I didn't, I get, where I didn't I get where I am That's today. It. today. Yeah. Not, I didn't get where I am today, which is great. No, but I was just thinking about the songwriters generally, and uh, there seem to be two, or possibly three categories. One is people who seem to write about their own lives. Eminem, Lily Allen, Joni Mitchell. 
Then there's people who seem to write uh, fiction. You know, they write in character. Robert yep. Robertson, Randy Newman, Tom Waits, whatever. And then there's people in the middle who you can't quite tell mm. um, whether they're doing... Which, which they're doing, you know, Leonard Cohen or Nick Lowe or Elvis Costello. Which, which camp do you think of those three camps? Probably the third think? camp, yeah. Kind so there's of, a bit of fiction, a bit of fact. Yeah, because I live in a delude, deluded world. I'm not quite sure whether I'm, <laughs> whether I'm in an imaginative state of mind or in, in reality. And I've always suffered that, and Glenn would, Glenn would agree. And all my ex-wives would agree, too. <laughs> How many ex-wives have you got, Chris? Two. And last night I discovered with my third missus that uh, she thinks I've got asp Asperger's. Asperger's. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know where you know where you How can't. How does that manifest itself? Well, you, you, you can't concentrate on anything for very very long. Christ you know what I mean? Years then. Yeah. So she applies this to marriage. Well, she says I never listen listen to what she's saying. You know, and, and so apparently I've got Asperger's. But that, that would be all men, though, wouldn't That's it? That's really? all men. No, <laughs> this is a new section of our podcast, I think, which is which your, is your marriage problems yeah. resolved. Yeah. On the psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a fantastic quote, I think, from Steve Earle the other day that said, rather than just constantly get divorced, you should just meet some woman he hates every five years. Five years by her house. My favourite quote about, about ex-wives is the one was it PJ O'Rourke in our magazine. He said, uh, my advice is marry your third wife first. <laughs> <laughs> So, go on. I mean, mm -hmm. see, you would say, on uh, you know, on reflection, that very hard to combine the musician's life with settled domestic existence, is it? Well, it's a bit like being in the merchant navy or being a submariner or something. You know, you're, <laughs> you're kind of away for long periods of time. I mean, there's a song on my album called "Broken Fam Fam Family," which was really written about the early days of my career when I was in Squeeze and. I had two kids, Nat and Riley, and I instantly went on the road for like five years. You know, it was like on and off the, for the full five years. So I didn't really see them grow up. Yeah. So when I had my second kids, I actually said, hold on, I've got to watch these kids grow up. Yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, you, it's really interesting the way you've produced this record because you've put all the lyrics in, and I'm a great admirer of people who put their lyrics in. But you've also put sleeve notes, as it were, <laughs> at the bottom of the lyrics. Yes. And <laughs> this very song you're talking about, Broken Family, you talk about... Uh, uh, the idea that uh, family life was in some way recreated by being in a band, but nothing replaced the smell of sodden nappies. <laughs> I love that idea. But, uh, but also the idea that the group, which must be true of, of so many people, that mm. the group becomes an alternative family, doesn't it? You, Glenn, Jules, and everybody, somehow this becomes a... It's a gang. Yeah, a gang. You exactly. know, I mean, when I was a kid on a council estate, I was in a gang of boys, you know, we were skin, we were skinheads. we go go around and fight, you know, that sort of thing. And then I got into a gang, in a, which was, but we all played drums and guitars and stuff like that. And I've been in a gang all of my my adult life. So what happened to you if you were the guy who, the Charlie Watts of the band, who went up to his mm. darkened hotel room to, um, you know, drink, dress and, drink and, and uh, probably yeah. really, empty, yeah. uh, really empty yeah. a minibar and make notes, and yeah. mordant comments in a notebook. Well, then yet before you were a kind of. Uh, uh, not actually ultra violent, but clearly. Um, yeah, I had my mo I had my moments. Yeah, I had what, my what moments. What changed you? How fascinating. Uh, well, meeting Glenn actually, because really? he's su he was such a passive guy. He was he was the first sort of real hippie that I'd ever sort of met. You know, he was very calm, and you know, he walked around without any shoes and socks on, ate vegetarian food. I'd never met a vegetarian, so I'd met Glenn. And this yeah, is and this no is when. Yes, well, that's, that's a tough life. That's yeah. fighting talk. In the early 70s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of broken glass around. Yes. So after duffing him up, he yeah. became quite a good friend. After <laughs> duffing him up. You horrible little hippie. Yeah, yeah. Grab, so grabbed him by the hair. So go on, you used to go to your, your hotel room and drink. 
Yes, I used to well, drink. Just to kind of calm down. No, because I didn't want I didn't want any, anybody else to drink what I had. <laughs> so I mean, I was the sort of person. I was the sort of person who, you know, if I knew there was a good bottle of wine in the dressing room, I'd sneak it back up to my room. Oh really? And I wouldn't share it with anybody else because I was an alcoholic. Alcoholic. You so know. you don't drink now? No, I don't. I'm drunk. How long have you not drunk for? Fifteen years. 16 years Did, I mean I've known quite a few musicians and, uh, I, I, and they're I, all drugs I, I, no, well actually I'm not, I'm not going to say that too, but I, I can I can really understand that if you're involved in any kind of performance at all mm. and anybody listening to this who's ever been involved in performance I'm sure would know what we mean Dave and I used to do uh, mm. our Old Grey Whistle Test whatever it was 20 years ago Absolutely. and I used to come off stage the Old Grey Whistle Test if you can call it that having spoken to the nation 2.75 2. million Fantastic. people live yeah. and I would chew down a bottle of Le Piet d'Or do you remember Dave <laughs> in about 45 seconds and he thought it was bottle. good me too. Uh, yeah. and, and I feel no effect at all. No. And absolutely. then about an hour later, suddenly it feels like you'd be clubbed over the back of the head by a baseball bat because yeah. you'd relaxed and the alcohol and somehow got into your yeah, bloodstream. Absolutely. But yeah. I couldn't believe your capacity to be able to drink and you'll need to drink to be able to calm down. And that yeah. cycle of touring, yeah. drinking, trying to calm down, getting cranked up for the next gig. Yeah, well, I drank. Must be hard. Oh, yeah, I drank every day for 23 years. I mean, that's a lot of drink. That's know, a lot of drink. Without a break, even, yeah. even when I was ill. I used, to, I used to drink. You know. That's dedication. That's dedication it? to the <laughs> cause. You really were. I was really it. hard. Fantastic. <laughs> I wanted to ask something about this, this. We were talking earlier on about the idea of, um, you know, this the difference between fact and, and fiction. But this seems to me, uh, as, a, as, as, as just a listener, to be an extraordinarily kind of honest and open mm. and autobiographical record because mm. it seems to be the themes you address and very very honestly because you also write in your sleeve notes more mm. about your feelings about these particular subjects one is vasectomy yes and these are very specific things you talk about how you cannot have any more children is because that, you've had a vasectomy it's in the song it's not the yeah. first vasectomy song first vasectomy song it's a rock and roll first Chris it could be <laughs> you write about uh, middle age spread and going to gym yeah. at one point, and then feeling that gravity is taking its pull. It point. does indeed. Yeah. You know, and no, well, Mark and I wouldn't know anything about that. No, of course, no. of course and there's thing. another song which, uh, which is the reason actually I've remembered why that why that record was on because Kate Mossman just told me that she was so fascinated by discovering there's a song called My Mother's Handbag. Oh yes. Track seven. So she'd put it on to listen to it. And it's about again. It's this terrifically kind of uh, kind of if we can say middle age. Mm. We're all yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, nostalgic moment of going back to this uh, childhood memory of the the descent of your mother's. Th I think we should have a, we should have a word podcast idea. moment there. Seriously, I think everybody should now close their eyes and think about what it was like to smell their mother's handbag. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> therapy. <laughs> therapy for us all, then. No, seriously. I can smell it. Yeah. yeah. You can, can't you? I, can, I really can smell it. Yeah. And I've never, I've never read of? a reference... Peppermints? I'm very bad at... Lavender? Kind of uh, describing smells. Like lavender. Old Hoban. Lavender, yeah. Old Hoban. Yes. Bottles of brown. Bit of 4711. Yeah. 4711. Skunkweed. 4711. Oh, it's changed now. Dear Maria. Oh, mother, please. There'd be proper leather involved, wouldn't there? Yeah, yeah, none of your yeah, plastic. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, but it was also intimately connected with the fact that usually pro you're probably about to steal some money out of it. <laughs> yes, that's, that's nice, probably it? very true. Why did you so, write that song? <laughs> I want to know. She's pretty quiet from wanting. Chris, would you like to confess? Loose change. <laughs> We've all done it. Why did I write that song? Because uh, when I did my first album with Francis Dunnery from It It Bites Fame. He said to me, you know, it's, it, he thinks it's very important to write about things that you know so that when you're singing them, you actually feel what, you, what you're singing about. And, 
you know, I was just on my first album. I mourned the loss of my parents, and on this yeah. album, I want I wanted wanted to sing about about that, about the smell of my mum's handbag. It suddenly came into my my uh, day. Would you have done that when she was still alive? No. <laughs> very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is interesting. Yeah. Do you yeah. wish you had though? Because wouldn't she have been very touched to know you'd written this song? Oh, not about that. Or she wouldn't she have got that? <laughs> oh, Christopher was trying to nick a tenfold note, as ever. <laughs> she, was ne- she was never a big uh, fan of, uh, of me being in, in, a, in a band. In fact, uh, once I went to play at the Trentishoe Music Festival in, in Devon. I don't know if you ever remem- remember that. It was the Pink, pink Fair... Fair, 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 global trucking, global regular on the podcast. Yeah, and uh, anyway, when I came home, the piano that I had in my my bedroom had gone, so she had it all moved out while I was away. Oh I couldn't play very well anyway, so she was probably right. <laughs> but then when I was on top of the pops, it all changed. She suddenly, I was this young star, you know. Oh, really? She was she was painfully proud of you. Yeah, painfully proud. <laughs> yeah. Dropping your name <laughs> furiously in Tesco. <laughs> yes. yeah. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Now, the thing, apart That's from, it. you know, you got Squeeze on the Go, or will be on the go again this summer, uh, you got this this record... But the other thing that we're constantly hearing about, which fascinates us, mm. is the is the song. What do you call it? The song school or the song summer school or workshop? Or maybe song workshop, possibly, clinic, whatever. Yeah, clinic. Well, you appear to have, you appear to have got yourself in in the position as the kind of mm. I don't know. I think in Hollywood they have men who make fortunes out of being script doctors, don't they? You know, mm. take your film idea and make mm. it slightly better. But you're doing. Well, you're not doing that, but you yeah. did something similar for songs, yeah? Yeah, well, this is our 16th, or my 16th year, and uh, this year we're doing it in Italy, in in a, in a really lovely villa, and 15 or 16 writers come. These are professional writers? Yes, and some not, so, you know, some, some novices come too, so right. I like to mix them up. And, um, yeah, we just, uh, what I do is I get up in the morning and I, I decide who's going to work with whom. They go off into different rooms. They really? work with themselves. So you're like the, the moderator and you, yeah. it's quite formal. Yeah. It's, oh, really? it's kind of like having a treat, my own very own treatment centre. Oh, really? You know, and, it, and it's funny, to, it's great to watch the whole s- process of what happens to a group of people throughout the course of a, a week. There's the initial bonding, you know, then there's, then oh. there's, then comp- then this competition comes in, and then there's the falling apart, which always happens in any group, and then there's the coming back together. Mm. Mm. And, that, and that whole thing takes place in seven days. So you get what you, you say, you've got to come out of this at the end of it with a song. Is that the. Uh, every day everybody writes at least one song. Yeah, so. Every day. has to perform them publicly, presumably. Well, what we do is we sit in the studio, in the studio by the fire, and everybody sings. So there's like 10 or 12 songs a day. And then at the, at the end of this week, we're actually going to have a festival in a place called Monotoni, which is a beautiful little uh, castle village uh, built, by the, built by the Romans, and we're going to play in the town uh, square. That's going to be great. So people pay to be on this? All they do is they pay the uh, charge of, of staying there, which oh, really? is seven, so 700 pounds, 100 pounds a week, a day. Oh, okay. You're not yeah. thought of... I'm not, I'm not trying to cast you as money grabber. You're not thought about trying to... Charge you a lot of money. No, I mean, my, my, my manager before the one I've got now said, why don't you charge them more so you can make some money out of that? I said, well, actually, I, I don't really want to. You know, I think it's about getting to know people and having friends and, and giving, giving something back. You know, I've been lucky enough to 
to to have what I've had out of the music world, you know, and and it's nice to give stuff back, you know. It's as simple it's as, as that. Philanthropic. Because well, there's, there's this theory that a lot, which quite a lot of musicians seem to have adopted is that is that you can reach a point when your audience isn't expanding. Mm. But what you can do is somehow. If it doesn't sound too cynical, not make more money out of your audience. Milk. But milk. <laughs> milk, yeah. But, you know, because... Flog. Because the point is, if they, if they... These are the ones who really adore you. They're quite happy to pay. But I mean, in fact, there's a piece in the current um, edition of The Word, very entertaining piece about a group called Bare Naked Ladies, who are Canadian yes. uh, rock yeah, very good. And for, this is the fourth time they've done it. They, they hire a, a 2,000 uh, berth sea cruiser, and they oh set off for five days around the Caribbean, having filled it to the brim... Um, with people with a large uh, appetite for cocktails and yeah. but fans of theirs, friends of theirs. It is literally a captive audience, mm. and they're, they're there on, and they're there for five days, mm. and once a day or twice a day they play a concert. The rest of the time, sounds very squeezed. Chris, very, to me. very good idea. It's a good idea. I think you should yeah. go to the Thames. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couldn't you get a longboat? <laughs> you know, go up paddle steamer. I can't see what's wrong with that. But sitting uh, there strumming on the front, you know. I mean, there's a, I mean, the music indus- industry is so fond of taking, but it never gives back. It's like when you think about, you know, there's so many people that are suffering from drink and drugs and that sort yeah. of thing. Well, if you're in America or, you know, if you're in a big corporate company and you were somebody like Amy Winehouse and you were, and you were you know, taken ill or something, they would find, find the money to look after you rather than scorn you, we, uh, you know. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's just something that doesn't happen in, in this kind of Particularly difficult world. with yeah. Amy Winehouse because her commercial star has, written, has risen in exact parallel yes. to her personal problems, doesn't yes. it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Never sold more records than she does when, uh, you know, when being a kind of yeah. public tragedy, I suppose. Yeah, well, that is, she is a complicated story because She's I think, I think, I think the, 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 the appetite, this is my theory, the appetite for authenticity mm in a kind of post-MTV mm. generation, this doesn't sound too glib, is mm. so huge yes. that the idea that somebody appears to inhabit their own songs mm. is immensely attractive. Oh, mm. that's a good theory. Immensely attractive. Well, theory. Theory. You should write a column about that. Would you like me to, Dave? In about a year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not a very prolific columnist. <laughs> well, it's like, like hip-hop, isn't it? It's that, you know, yeah. it's that why 50 Cent is so fantastically huge is not because he's a particularly good rapper, he lives. He, lives he inhabits the songs. Shot, that he's, yeah, I know. He's been shot. It's a high price to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've got to ask you one thing about this record, produced by well, produced with Boo Hewardine, you collaborate yeah. with, mm. but also the great John Wood. The great John Wood, which, uh, who, engineer Mam- who we've been talking about in the past on this podcast. Yeah, name a huge set of ears. Not rock deaf because he's been doing this for a long time, hasn't he? He, yeah, he has been doing it for a long while. And it was, I mean, I got him out of retirement to do my last album, uh, to engineer it for me. And he, um, he runs a bed and breakfast. Breakfast. Oh, really? I can't remember where it is now. Oh, we all want to stay at Aberdeen. Aberdeen. It's outside. That sounds like a word reader's ideal. Because that is the man who produced or engineered uh, Nick Drake, Richard Thompson. Fairport Convention. What else? Incredible String Band, probably. Incredible String Band. Nico. Just Electra I'm Island. I'm booking a whole wing. I'm, just <laughs> I'm going to move in. <laughs> John Wood is Occasionally running someone in B&B. Someone bring me a pair of buttered kippers and Talk- some toast and I'll be delighted. Smokies. Smokies. Yeah. yeah, that's what he does the best. Talking to people in far-flung places, I've just got a, um, a, found a fantastic uh, response on the website. We we, you, we we deal in far-flung readers, you know. But have you read this about the guy that's on the tanker? No. Oh, this is fantastic. 
He is a chief mate on what he calls a charming little ship that supplies a few oil rigs with all they need to function. Now, we've looked this vessel up, the, the HMS Melinda, or Lady Melinda. We found it's enormous. He, he, um, he works out of Darwin at the very top of Australia, OK? <laughs> He says, we either sweat in the humid... Well, we Darwin. <laughs> good, isn't it? That's a good title for a song. <laughs> this reads like the first communication we've ever had from Joseph Conrad. This, you know, okay. yeah. says, we either sweat in the humid stickiness of the wet or sweat in the eyeball-frying heat of the dry. <laughs> so he says, it weighs 3,000 tonnes, does about 11 knots, gets through about 10,000 litres of diesel each day. He says, but we are blessed with an internet connection. Can you imagine this? Wow. Out, out there. Even in the in heart of darkness. Not <laughs> hundreds of miles north of, of Darwin. Darwin, Where yeah. are they? Well, what's that, the South China yeah, Sea? I've no idea. We've um, got an internet connection which allows me to do things like this and to download that lovely weekly podcast oh, uh, from Hepworth and Allen and all their chums. There's 11 of us on the ship, all with their own ca- cabins. Mercifully, we all have a stereo. And the bridge of the ship where I'm most gamefully employed, <laughs> now you might want to just put fingers in your ears if you've worked for the BPI here, has a computer that is networked to about a billion music files on the ship's computers. <laughs> it's the idea that this is like a floating jukebox. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. We've fleeced out the squeeze back catalogue for starters. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, uh, he's, he's, he's leaving there soon. He's back to the bosom of his family in New Zealand. Is where he's now headed. So that's that's Matt Muso. So if, if you think fantastic. you can do better he's than Matt Muso, he's officially our most remote. Oh, I think he is. Yeah. We thought we'd done, we thought we'd done well in the past, but he's yeah, he's definitely great. done better. That's, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, so Chris, you're going to play a tune for us in a minute. Sure. Meanwhile, we've got a b- just a little bit of plugage. Okay, I've got to plug the the word t-shirts. Oh yeah, go on, yeah. which are absolutely fantastic. Hurry, hurry, hurry! Go to the website. <laughs> Got Give people some examples of the hilarious uh, sloganeering. Well, uh, one one says the word "I love the smell of vinyl in the morning." It's good. Ooh, that's good. And the other one says good. the word "I read it for the articles." Which is, is very, that right? Very good is it just those two? That I, we think got? It's, I think it might be not. Isn't the one that we're going to have one which just said uh, "OAP sound system"? I've not done that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we just thought that was funny and then didn't bother to print them up. Well, the other one. I should have worn that. The, the, the DJ tune-off. Should have done. Yeah. OAP sound the other one you should have is done for the festival season. Is that do some old? Oh, do some old, yeah. <laughs> an old friend of mine who was touring in America and said, that's what people now shout. You're trying to say, okay, there's a couple from my new record. People just go, do some old! <laughs> there's no more depressing phrase. No, but not. I mean, you know, fair enough. That's what they want to hear. So Chris, is there anything you want to plug about your record? You've got uh, gigs and then up? do some old. <laughs> do, yeah, do some old or bugger off. <laughs> Play up the junction. Yeah. Let's heckle. Let's see you in heckle. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Are you playing soon? Am I playing? Live? Yeah, I'm going out with Boo for a whole month, which is going to be great fun. Starting? April the 2nd, and uh, we're playing all over the place. If you go to my website, you will see all the, all the lovely dates. So that's chrisstiffer.com. We'll put, we'll put the link on, on the site. Yeah. So uh, this is the first time we've done this podcast for ages. This is the first time I'm able to use the, you know, the time-honoured expression, what are you going to do for us, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> In a minute, Mark Allen can say good luck with the tour. Good luck with the tour. (laughs) (laughs) When the next record comes, uh, mate, come back and tell us all about it. (laughs) 
signed picture of Dolly uh, Parton in my book there. Oh, lovely. When, when did you run across Dolly? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> wow. It's very difficult to do that. Uh, I met her in the... to Chris, brackets, cowboy, does it? Yes, it does. Oh, I think that's a bit of a compliment. Yeah, it is. She doesn't say cowboy to all the lads, does she? I met her at the BBC, and uh, I, I tried to give her one of my songs, but she didn't. She said, oh, it's very very kind of you. I'll think about doing it on my next album. And this is the one about the sex of it. Can't think why she didn't go for that. <laughs> it was a song called Cowboys on My Weak- Weakness, which was from the oh, last album. Right. Yeah, so. It's funny. Sorry, just briefly before you start, I've got to... While we're in Dolly Parton mode, because my eldest daughter suddenly announced this weekend, 25 years old, that she wants to go and see Dolly Parton, Fair which enough. is kind of curious the way the world yes, works, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I was reminiscing about that time we went to see Dolly Parton, you and I, yeah. and Brent Hansen and so forth, yeah. and, uh, and they had a lesbian stage invasion. Do you remember? Yeah. And Dolly... Dolly has this, the, the most varied bunch of fans I've ever seen in my life. You know, you've got kind of serious country heads, old-fashioned, you know, people who used to go to Wembley, militant lesbians and all kind, and everything in between. Um, she, she was, um, she'd obviously been levered into her clothing, hadn't she? Oh, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Seriously. Yeah. So she's actually incapable of independent movement. <coughs> you know, the, the hair there, the bosom, yeah. the high heels mm. and so forth. And so when these militant lesbians made their way to the, the stage, the mount, minder came on. And decided not didn't say Dolly get off. He picked her up, and if you can imagine somebody picking up a, a department store mannequin out yeah. of a window, stiff as a board, <laughs> stiff as a board. <laughs> like a ladder under his arm. Put, yes. her, put her under his she arm. She weighs about five stones. And as well, carried, carried her stone off. Stone and armor. That is just hair. <laughs> <laughs> So she has stop. a strongly lesbianic following, actually. She's she does. Thing. She's become a real kitsch icon. The only, the, the, only, the, the only country star I ever saw was George Jones. Right. Oh, wonderful. And, and I went with Nick Lowe, and uh, he was doing two shows in a club in Boston. And we, and we, got, we said we'd go to the sec, sec, second show, so we had a few large large drinks. <laughs> and we were queuing up Nick out... Lowe, George Jones. Yeah, 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 we were, queue, yeah, we were queuing up... We were queuing up outside... And we spotted, George had done his first show, spotted him leaving the stage door with two really fantastic-looking girls and getting in a limousine. So we thought nothing of it. We thought, well, he's going, he's going to have for a little nap, you know. <laughs> so we go, we go, we go into, the, into the club and we stand in there for what seems like hours and then an, an announcement is made. Unfortunately, George won't be playing tonight. He's got a cold. <laughs> So you'll know in future. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the first show or yes. every time. Yes. He gets a cold later. Yeah. Right. Go on, Chris. Excellent. Shall I play? Yeah. I'm never thin. I'm never svelte. I always wore a bigger belt. I never thought I needed help choosing what to eat. Each mouthful a real treat But when I look to see There's a greater part of me I see the men who work at the gym They have a ripple with every limb They never have this excess skin To cover up their age We're on a different page I look like a tree There's a greater part of me And it's so hard 
to put on my socks each morning when I wake I see myself when I was thin and the hearts I used to break now I have tits just like my mum I'm out of breath before I run I like to eat because it's fun but it comes at such a price I'm on the old brown rice and the herbal tea There's a greater part of me And it's so hard To put on my socks each morning When I wake, I see myself When I was thin and the hearts I used to break So hard Play the boy and go cross country running became a stroll. I was the donut and the hole, but inside I felt great. The fork and not the rake digs up the weeds, digging up the rest of me, and it's so hard. To put on my socks each morning when I wake, I see myself. When I was thin and the hearts I used to break, it's so hard to pull in the street, but it never seems too late. It's so hard. Socks in the morning, <laughs> which is close to all our, um, you know. Well, you're not. You see, like, I okay, find it hard. Desperately getting the old pants on first. Thing <laughs> <in the morning. laughs> Do you know what you did? One got to that stage where I think you talked about this before, Dave, where you, you swing your legs out of bed in the morning and you just, without realising, just groan. Well, you do. Yeah. Groan. Oh. Oh. When you first put the weight on the feet. I know. Oh. If you have the socks problem, here's my advice. Free advice here. Okay, go and find a primary school that's throwing out all its old furniture. Small chairs of the kind that small children sit on in primary school are the are the ideal. I was wondering where you were going thing. with that one. <laughs> yeah, I know, I was trying to work it out. <laughs> I have to say, there's a line in your song uh, about uh, that song about donuts and holes. Yeah. It just reminded me of a trip I went to Australia once, doing uh, lecturing about magazines for three weeks, and I, I went out of uh, Sydney, <laughs> and. Uh, they were very snobbish in Sydney about um, life outside, mm. in a place they called Whoop Whoop, which basically means anywhere that isn't Sydney. I said, oh, mate, you'll find some real old hayseed characters up there. I said, no, I'm sure they won't be at all. I'm sure they'll be very sophisticated media types like you. And I went to this old bric-a-brac sale. I remember this guy coming up to me because I'd missed a bargain. He said, I'll give you a bit of advice, mate. And he gave me this beautiful poem, mm. which is so fabulous because it was so perfect because it didn't really rhyme or scan, and it has at least one terrific swear word in it. And it was, uh, whatever it is you do in life, whatever is your goal, just keep looking at the donut, mate. Don't look at the fucking hole. <laughs> <laughs>
And when I got back to Sydney, I found it very hard to say, that, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're some slightly simpler folk out there. That's great. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.